Today's reading from the Word of God comes from Ruth chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Please follow along in your own Bibles on the screen behind me or listen as I read the scriptures. Once again, that's Ruth chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Following the reading, I invite you to respond in worship with the singing of the doxology. At that time, children are invited to join kids' crew through the door on your right. Hear the word of the Lord. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he asked. I'm your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Gene. I am one of the pastors here at Anchor Bay. It's good to be worshiping with you. It is part of our uh, rhythm of worship to sit in silence for a moment and set aside any distractions we may have brought with us this morning. Uh, at the same time, we can ask God to help us to be in a posture to receive God's word uh, this morning as well. And so uh, after a moment of silence, uh, I'll go ahead and open us in prayer. Father, Son, and Spirit, we give you glory and praise for this, uh, this opportunity where we can gather together, worship your name freely, um, and together as one body. And so 
Uh, bless our time together. May these words be edifying. Uh, may, may it edify your church so that we may love and serve our neighbors here in our North Shore. Give you all the glory, thanks, and praise. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Um, whenever I walk around downtown Beverly or Salem, I notice so many people wearing headphones. Uh, whether it's the popular uh, iPhone earbuds or a retro headset purchased from a thrift store, uh, we seem to be tuned in something to our devices. We may be listening to our favorite breakup song by Taylor Swift or a video essay analyzing Afro-surrealism through a TV show. And other times, we may jump back into an audiobook, picking up where we left off the adventure or the drama. Maybe we like listening to a good podcast. Does anyone here like a good podcast? I know I'm definitely one, like plenty of hands. Awesome. I love, love podcasts. I'm a huge fan of podcasts, and there's so many to choose from. Uh, choose from. If you want more content from a favorite show, there's plenty of podcasts out there about that. Uh, if you're in a mood for a murder mystery podcast, the sky's the limit. Uh, one podcast I tune, tune into is Armchair Expert by Dax Shepard. Uh, Dax Shepard was, uh, was in comedy movies like Without a Paddle or Idiocracy uh, back in the mid-2000s. That was almost 20 years ago. Yikes. Yeah, I know, right? Um, still, uh, he's still taking roles in the showbiz, uh, but most of his creative energy is poured into this uh, podcast series that has over 600 episodes. Uh, being on the movie or TV screen, it's no surprise that Dax interviews famous actors and actresses uh, in the entertainment industry. But he goes well beyond that uh, niche field. He's, uh, he has had writers like Malcolm Gladwell or Ibram X. Kendi on the show. Uh, he's had a couple of talk show hosts like Seth Meyers on the show as well. Uh, there's this one episode, uh, Dak's uh, uh, interviews with Seth Meyers is particularly interesting to me. Uh, they bonded about being writers and the unceasing demands to crank out sketch comedies or monologues for a late night show. A portion of the podcast uh, cast, Dax and Seth chat about the challenges of advancing their careers in the entertainment industry. There, are, uh, there is this endless effort to chase one success after another. After one project is done, they just move on to the next one. It's this endless rat race. Uh, as the episode starts to wind down, though, the conversation uh, quickly shifts to a family matter when Dax asks about Seth's, uh, Seth's priorities uh, now that he has children. Uh, with all this chasing for success or advancing careers, how has, ha uh, how has uh, having children changed all of that? Seth says, someone else's future is more exciting than your own. Someone else's future is more exciting than your own. I thought this quote was quite striking to me because uh, Seth has a family and his career and ambitions no longer take the driver's seat of his life. His career is still important to him, but his life decisions aren't orbiting around it. Uh, he sees the future of his kids far more valuable than his own. And that's such a tremendous sacrifice. Uh, he, he's had such an amazing career and the sky's the limit with his career potential but he sacrifices that so readily for the future of his kids. To him, that doesn't seem like a cost at all. Uh, he's so delighted to do that. 
uh, because of one person's gain doesn't necessarily mean that he loses something, even though it's a sacrifice in and of itself. And I think there's something special about being excited for someone else's future and willing to invest in it because you love that person. I mean, can any of our parents relate to this? Or maybe if you're not a parent, but you can still relate to this feeling of hope for someone, uh, of someone else that you love. Uh, we don't have to have children to be invested in someone else's future. Uh, it can happen in any season in life. It can mean not uh, leaving a stable job so that your spouse can pursue her own business. It can be paying a higher portion of rent just for a short period of time so that your housemate can get back on his feet. It can be standing up for a classmate who's being picked on all the time. Or maybe it's opening your home as a short-term foster, foster care. What if we approach making decisions that benefit others for no other reason besides caring for their dignity? What if we choose to see in the good in the person, even though we don't see eye to eye, and decide to pursue that person's well-being? Uh, what if we calculate all the risks, all the costs that's involved, and still say to ourselves, this is worth it for my friend, my colleague, or that stranger down on Cabot Street? What if we make choices beyond ourselves for the benefit of the other person? Well, this morning we're uncovering how Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz make selfless actions during a potentially risky situation. Uh, we are continuing our sermon series called Ruth, Extraordinary Faithfulness of Ordinary People. And a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Ali opened the series by bringing to light an important theme that's woven throughout this book, the Hebrew word chesed, chesed. Uh, this is a difficult term to translate uh, to English, uh, to the English language, just because it encompasses so many different concepts into one word, like loving kindness, generosity, or enduring commitment. Uh, this word is used to describe God's commitment towards Israel, even when they fail to live as God's people over and over and over again. And then last week, Pastor Brennan pre preached about Boaz's incredible hospitality towards Ruth uh, when he invited her to gather grain in the fields, in his fields. And not only that, but he provided protection from harm as she worked, despite the fact that she was a Moabite, an enemy to the eyes of the ancient Israelites, someone who didn't belong. Uh, Boaz persisted in reflecting God's loving kindness, generosity, Hesed towards her. And now we reach to a point in the story where the stakes get pretty high, and yet these characters remain faithful to one another. So let's quickly recap the story, uh, part of the story here. So after Ruth told uh, Naomi she gleaned uh, uh, grain in Boaz's field, Naomi saw a potential future between Ruth and Boaz. So she created a plan to have them meet in hopes that Ruth's future would be secured uh, by Boaz. But things didn't go according to plan uh, between the two of them when they met, but it still worked out in the end. So we're going to take a quick pause here just because there's a lot of questions that may come up when reading this text or hearing the text this morning. Uh, there are various interpretations of this passage because the original language Ruth is written in, written in Hebrew, has double meanings, wordplay, and possible sexual innu innuendos. 
Uh, for example, the term to lie down can literally mean laying on the floor. Or other times, uh, when the same term is used between two people, it can carry a similar meaning to Mar uh, like to Marvin, Marvin Gaye's song, Let's Get It On. Uh, but I think there's a way to get some clarity about the passage by observing these characters and their actions a little more closely. Uh, we'll find that the situation in chapter 3 may not be a spicy situation, but a tender one. Uh, they may not be pursuing selfish or selfish passions or desires, but their devotion uh, for one another drives them to seek uh, the well-being of their neighbor. So, okay, unpause. Back to the story. So if you have your Bibles with you, please open again to Ruth chapter 3 that Molly read for us this morning. Uh, in the previous chapter, Naomi learns that Ruth has been gathering food in Boaz's field during the barley harvest. Yes, finally, some good news. Uh, I imagine immense joy erupting within Naomi because it so happens that Bo Boaz is one of their guardian redeemers. Now, that's a really important word that I'll get to a little bit later. Uh, Naomi uh, probably experiences great peace knowing that Ruth can be safe uh, if she continues to work in his field. Now, as, as she sits with this delightful outcome, an opportunity is in sight for Ruth to find security if her and Boaz get hitched. Now, back then, the Israelites lived in a patriarchal society where men provided protection and financial security for women. And if you recall from what happened earlier in the story, these two women are widows. And, so, and so their future survival depends on their ability to get remarried. Uh, it would be rare for someone like Naomi's age to find a new husband. And so the future depended on her daughter-in-law, Ruth, to get remarried. As Naomi discovers hope in Boaz, who can uh, care for Ruth, she draws up a plan for Ruth to pursue Boaz. And so Ni uh, Naomi instructs Ruth to, get, uh, to wash up, put on perfume, and get dressed in her best clothes. All right, so this translation can be a bit misleading here uh, because it sounds like Ruth is going to get decked out to go on a hot date with Boaz or prepare, she's preparing herself for some promiscuous shenanigans. Well, I don't think that's an accurate interpretation because Naomi is clearly trying to follow God's way. And one night stands weren't a part of that. Uh, her concern for Ruth has been focused on her well-being and safety since the beginning. I mean, before returning to Bethlehem, Naomi thought her daughter-in-laws would, be, uh, would have better prospects back in Moab than in Israel. I mean, she had their future in the forefront of her mind. So it would be strange for Naomi to instruct her daughter-in-law to perform a, a, a disgraceful action that would tarnish her reputation. And remember, Ruth's husband died recently, and so she would have been wearing widow's clothes. And here, Naomi is telling Ruth to put away those clothes of grieving and wear clothes that would communicate her public mourning is behind her. And she's probably ready to see other people right now. And as Naomi encourages her daughter-in-law to, uh, to put on different clothes, she directs Ruth to uh, quietly find Boaz at the threshing floor in the middle of the night. And when she finds him, she'll uncover his feet and lie down. So, and Ruth follows through this plan. 
Uh, after a hard night's work separating chaff from the grain, Boaz has some delicious food and the finest adult beverages uh, of his time. And it was common in, in their day to finish a busy day of work with a big dinner and sometimes with a lot of booze. Uh, but Boaz clearly overdone it here because the text says that he had a little too much to eat and drink. And as he's asleep by the far side of the grain pile, Ruth tiptoes her way towards sleepy Boaz and starts to uncover his feet. All right, we're going to take a quick pause here because it gets, this is kind of strange, right? So remember how uh, I started, I stated, I shared that the Hebrew language has some double meanings in this passage. Well, this is another clear example where there's some double meaning here. Uh, Uncovering someone's feet can literally mean uncovering someone's feet. Um, or, it can, um, uh, or it can mean so much more than uncovering his feet, like a lot more than just his little piggies. Uh, but keep in mind that Ruth is a woman with incredible integrity. It would be uncharacteristic of her from both what we've already seen from her and what everyone is saying about her to just look for a one-night stand. Another meaning of uncovering someone's feet and laying, uh, laying before them can be a nonverbal action to, uh, to communicate the intention of marriage. And this marriage will provide protection and security for the family. Kind of wild, right? But hear me out because it will make a lot more sense once we uh, look at the following verses. All right, unpause, back to the scene. Uh, okay, something causes Boaz to awaken from his slumber, and a mysterious figure is at his feet. Who are you, he, he says. Ooh. All right, now Naomi's plan just went out the window, and so Ruth has to think on her feet, and she has to think of something really fast. So Ruth reveals herself to Boaz and makes a courageous request. Spread the corner of your garment over me since or because you are the guardian redeemer of our family. Whoa. This, uh, if the, the nonverbal cues aren't clear, then the statement sounds alarms that Ruth means business. This request to spread the corner of your garment is the same Hebrew language that Boaz used to her when he said, may you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz said this to Ruth when he learned about uh, her devotion to Naomi. She left behind everything that was familiar to her, her family, her hometown, just to remain faithful to her mother-in-law. Boaz was so impressed by this dedication, he wanted to extend loving kindness to Ruth by inviting her uh, to gather grain in his field. And then he prayed for Ruth that God would be her provider. Well, guess what? Ruth remembers this and directly tells Boaz that he can fulfill his prayer to her. She and Naomi can find shelter in the Israelite's God, Yahweh, through Boaz himself. And I just imagine Ruth refuses to settle uh, for a short-term solution like being given extra barley during harvest seasons. And yeah, that's a nice gesture and all, but she's not happy with that. 
And so she boldly advances on Boaz as someone who could bring lifelong security for her and her family. Ruth hedges all her bets on the fact that Boaz is her guardian redeemer. Now, that word has come up a handful of times now. So what is this guardian redeemer anyway? Uh, there's no equivalent idea to a guardian redeemer in our Western culture. Uh, one comparison is life insurance, but I don't think that quite captures the, the heart of it. Uh, guardian redeemers back then aimed to buy back, uh, recover, or restore a person or property that's lost. I mean, back then, families had to sell their uh, land because of financial trouble. Other times, a piece of land was stolen, so it needed to be retrieved back to its rightful owner with the help of a family member. And then there were situations like a widow facing old age and needing someone to take ownership of her husband's property, like the case for Naomi. Essentially, Naomi needed someone to claim her husband's estate to keep things running, which also included inheriting the responsibility of providing the surviving family members. So in our case, Ruth and Naomi. But did Ruth have in mind all of these nuances of what guardian redeemer means? Probably not. I mean, she was a Moabite, and she didn't grow up in the culture of uh, Israel's customs. And my guess is that she had a limited understanding of this term, guardian redeemer. Maybe the fact that Boaz being her guardian redeemer was enough to empower her to make a valiant statement. She is given an inch and she takes a mile. And this isn't for selfish reasons either. uh, Because it's her tenacity towards Naomi that allows her to do what it takes to ensure a promising future for her and her mother-in-law. Uh, We don't find ourselves in this kind of situation today, but God invites us uh, uh, to do the same. How do we look out for others instead of just for ourselves? How do we say, like Seth Meyers said on the podcast, that someone else's future is just as important, if not more, than our own? Uh, I'm sure many of us heard about the deadly wildfires in Hawaii that started a couple of weeks ago. Uh, The images that capture the devastation from the wildfires leave me speechless. Um, Feelings of stress, anxiety, and and panic take a hold of my heart, Uh, just like the time when California was ablaze, uh, the the state that I was born and raised in. Uh, Not only that, but it's difficult to read about the families losing loved ones or all of their belongings. At times, I do feel overwhelmed by all the damage and chaos that these fires created uh, for the residents who live there. Uh, Just last week, uh, former President Obama posted a video sharing uh, his love and appreciation for his home state. Uh, He also expressed deep sorrows about the disasters taking place there. Uh, He then said in this video, We find ourselves mourning the lives that are lost, and our thoughts and prayers go out to the families that have lost so much. The thing about it it is, though, thoughts and prayers in a moment like this are not enough. We have to step up, and we have to help those families. You're on to something, President Obama. Sometimes uh, thoughts and prayers alone may not be enough especially during nightmarish times. Uh, 
Sometimes there will be opportunities where we need to act in whatever ways that are helpful and appropriate. Sacrifices are costly and sometimes really, really costly. But if there's a chance for a better future, whatever costs we accept are well worth it. In fact, costs pale in comparison when seeking out the benefit of an individual or a community or a city or a state. President Obama uh, shared links to his social media uh, bio providing ways for, help, uh, for us to help in addition to thoughts and prayers. Uh, if you feel a stirring in your heart by the Lord to support this specific community, uh, please check out his, uh, his social media bios and you can find links uh, to make a donation. Our denomination, the ECC, has also been raising money to support this community in Hawaii through the local churches on the ground there. Uh, we'll post in our social media pages as well uh, this afternoon. So if you feel um, uh, inclined to give or if you, you can give as you are able, uh, please do so. Uh, whatever happened to Boaz and Ruth? How does Boaz respond to Ruth after she brings up the fact that he's her family's guardian redeemer? Well, Boaz could have rejected Ruth for so many reasons here. Uh, Boaz has all the leverage in this situation. Uh, he's a man in a patriarchal society and that gives him all the privileges like owning property and having power. Uh, he's a native Israelite and knows all the laws and customs of his culture. Boaz isn't the one in desperation here. It's Ruth, the Moabite, the foreigner, the widow, the poor. Boaz could have been offended by her request and rejected, uh, and rejected her because of this reckless statement. Or he could have left it as, hey, Ruth, so sorry. My thoughts and prayers go out to you. And he would have, would have gone uh, about his day. But he doesn't do that. He responds with loving kindness, with generosity. He is, his response is full of hesed. Boaz says to Ruth, The Lord bless you, my daughter. This kindness is greater than uh, that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. <laughs> I kind of like uh, find this uh, response a little funny just because uh, he's surprised that Ruth didn't pursue men who were more youthful than him. Uh, I just imagine in his mind uh, that she's settling for some old fart versus some um, candidates who are in their prime. I don't know, just, just, a, just a funny thought for me. Uh, anyway, jo uh, jokes aside, uh, Boaz probably remembered Ruth's incredible fidelity towards Naomi. All these rumors about Ruth the Moabite doing everything she can to support her mother-in-law made its way around town. Her reputation is probably unparalleled to most Israelites during the time of Judges. Now, as these thoughts come to Boaz's mind, he is committed to, uh, to all the expectations of a guardian redeemer. He says yes to adding Naomi and Ruth to the family fold. He agrees to accept the responsibility of taking care of Naomi's deceased husband's property. He's willing to make certain sacrifices in his life for the well-being of Naomi and Ruth. It's not just thoughts and prayers for Boaz. He's invested in their future, as we'll see in the next chapter. 
this selfless, enduring commitment and steadfast love for others is perfectly exemplified by Christ himself. I mean, as the Son of God stepped foot into a broken world, Jesus established a better future for humanity by going toe-to-toe with our messy reality. Jesus cleared out the temple courts when animal vendors sought after prophets instead of uh, uh, enabling others to pray. Uh, He fed thousands and thousands of people, knowing that most of them only hungered for a temporary filling and not for an eternal one too. Jesus preached about the kingdom of God to the masses and lived it out. I mean, throughout his earthly ministry, he healed the sick, befriended the outcasts, dined with tax collectors, casted out demons. The Son of God didn't cower at the challenges and sufferings he had to endure for the sake of humanity's future, even when it cost his life. Jesus accepted the unjust trial before Pontius Pilate. He endured all the agony and mockery when carrying the cross to Golgotha. And as he hung on the cross, he willingly committed his spirit to God the Father just before his last breath. All of this was for humanity's sake. It was for you and for me. It was for our benefit that Jesus went through all that he did, the pain, the suffering, death, and resurrection. But that's not even the wild part. Uh, The author of Hebrews writes a profound statement that Jesus did all of this because it was the joy set before him to persevere through it. It brought joy to Jesus that he saved us from sin, separation, shame, and death. And he doesn't just rescue us from these things. Jesus equips us to be a reflection of him to our neighbors. He fills us with the power of the Holy Spirit uh, to to, uh, care for our neighbor's well-being through selfless service and sacrifice. The Holy Spirit teaches and shapes us to live a life that mirrors Jesus's as we abide in him. And this happens slowly, day after day. So what does this look like for us, church? What does it look like for us to make someone else's future more exciting than our own? What does it look like to invest in someone else's life? Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but we got tons of families with kiddos at our church. I mean, during the doxology, you just hear all those footsteps going through uh, across the sanctuary. Uh, Pastor Ali can share about how the kids' crew space downstairs is bursting at the seams every now and then. And sometimes the nursery room is full of regrets as well. And let's not forget about the youth group that has great fellowship and rich conversations about Jesus. Uh, We have opportunities to get to know these parents and their families. Uh, If you don't know uh, any of these families, maybe uh, you can introduce yourself to these parents and their children. Learn their names. Learn uh, an interest that the child is uh, curious in or has uh, loves talking about. Uh, This may seem like an insignificant step at first, but remembering uh, their names and a a single fact about them is a great way to uh, build trust. Or you can join uh, a team that helps with nursery or teach Sunday school down at the kids' crew space or volunteer a couple of hours of your time uh, at the youth group. 
There are plenty of places for you to invest in the next generation's lives. And so you can find, uh, come find me or Pastor Allie after service and we can get you connected there. Uh, maybe you have a heart to serve college students. Uh, I can introduce you to Molly Clark who read uh, scripture for us this morning. Uh, she leads a college fellowship called the InterVarsity here at the different colleges in the North Shore. Uh, she invests so much time, energy, and prayer into these students' lives. Uh, a couple months ago, she went out on a hiking trip with her students uh, to experience God, uh, God's goodness in nature. And so if God placed a deep love and care uh, in your heart for college students, I'm more than happy to get you connected with Molly. And as for me, uh, I wouldn't be the person who I am today without those who invested in my life. Uh, I'm internally grateful for the ways that God has used these people uh, in my faith journey. Uh, so many sacrifices were made for me uh, uh, from them, uh, like uh, giving me rides to church when I didn't have a driver's license until I was 21. Uh, listening to all my questions about scripture until 1 a.m. in the morning at a local donut shop or inviting me to come over just to hang out and play board games with them. And some of these friends I still keep in touch, even though we live in different parts of the country. Uh, these people in these photos, and not in these photos as well that I haven't mentioned, uh, took the time to pray with me and for me. We spent weeks, uh, we spent week, weekends together serving our neighbors. And we discussed theology on hours on end. I'm just incredibly grateful for every one of them. So where is God inviting you to invest in someone else's life? How has God blessed you with time, talents, and treasures to make someone else's future more exciting than yours? Anchor Bay, I invite you to consider these questions sometime this week. And so let's pray. Lord Jesus, I'm just uh, overwhelmed by your faithfulness um, in the lives of um, other Christians who've just made an, uh, an impact in my life. How they took away time from their busy schedules just to check in on me or to pray for me or with me or just to see how I'm doing. Lord Jesus, I pray that we may... Uh, look at life just beyond ourselves and look at the future that we'll uh, hand off to, to the next generation. May we be excited to, to hand them off to a future that's better than what we were given. May we invest uh, in the next generation's lives, Lord. May we be selfless, making sacrifices for them. So, Lord Jesus, may you help us in that uh, endeavor uh, here at Anchor Bay. Help us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves and help us to serve uh, our community at large. Pray this in your son's name. Amen.